Welcome to the Keeping Kids Safe podcast. My name is Karen Cohn. I am the co-founder of the Zach Foundation for Children's Safety. This is your number one resource for all things related to your child's emotional, physical, and social well-being. Now I'd like to introduce my co-host and my friend, the Executive Director of the Zach Foundation for Children's Safety, Megan Ferraro. Thank you, Karen. I'm so excited to speak with you this week, but really excited to introduce everyone to our special guest, Dana Gage, founder of the LV Project. Hi, Dana. Welcome. Hey, Megan. Hi, Karen. Thank you so much for having me. Honored to be on with you. You know, you are in our minds, you're our star of open water safety, all things open water safety. And we are just thrilled to have you on and to talk about Connor's story and to talk about how we all started working together and how we are going to change drowning prevention and water safety together. You know, we never really enjoy telling these stories, do we? And uh, yet suffering must have meaning. And, you know, we have to turn our pain into to purpose. And I know we're here to help prevent our stories from repeating. So thank you for the chance to share Connor's story. Um, it, it's a pretty simple one. Uh, Connor got invited to a lake birthday party when he was 15 years old. And this was Labor Day weekend of 2012. And, you know, that morning, it was a Friday morning, August 31st, 2012. He had just run his first cross-country meet as a varsity runner alongside his brother. And, you know, guys, I just remember thinking, man, we are in the sweet spot. You know, our boys were starting high school together. His older brother, Riley, was a junior in high school. And, you know, we worked really hard, like most families, just to piece by piece put the puzzle of our life together. And it felt like it was all coming together. And when Connor got invited to the lake that day, um, it was not our normal practice. In fact, this was the first and only time we had ever let him go to the lake with another family. You know, we were lake people. Uh, Connor grew up on the lake. He was an excellent swimmer, very comfortable with open water, you know, kind of a a water bug. And um, so when we got that invitation, you know, he really wanted to go, and it was for one of his good friend's birthday parties, so we just said yes, and um, they headed out to the lake with the host family rather late in the day. They took off about 5.30 that Friday. By the time they got to the lake, which was a couple of hours out, it was, you know, not dark, but on its way to dark, and um But, you know, you get five boys, it's a holiday weekend, and they're around a big body of water at a lake house, and guess what? They want to swim. And so, you know, they asked for permission to swim, and they got permission. And Connor was just so comfortable in that environment. It was not unlike the many weekends at our lake place, and um, they were playing follow the leader off of the boat dock. And when I say boat dock, top of the boat dock. And um, Connor went first. And he did a jump from the top of the boat dock, a flip actually. And he landed badly. And he 
did not resurface. And at first his friends thought he was uh, joking around because he was funny. You know, he was a funny, uh, silly kid. But they quickly figured out something was wrong. And, uh, you know, a frantic search ensued. Um, And that lake was 20 feet deep. And it was 8.15 at night, almost completely dark by that time. And 45 minutes later, a dive team pulled my son from the bottom of the lake. And that's the day that our really happy family of four went to a pretty broken family of three. And, you know, Connor had done that jump, that flip. I'm not kidding y'all a thousand times before, but he had never done it at this lake house. He had never done it that late in the day. And most importantly, he had never done it without a life vest. And the biggest mistake of my entire life will be that I did not ask if that family used life vests. Y'all, I was just naive, and I, I didn't think to ask because I just assumed everybody did it the way we did it. And um, what, I, what I learned later after Connor is that most people think that good swimmers can't drown. They think knowing how to swim is enough. And with open water, you know, it's really different than pools. It's murky, and it's deep, and lakes are unpredictable. And without a life vest, if something goes wrong, it's not a, you know, it's not a rescue situation. You can't say what you can't see. It's a recovery. So that's the day we lost him. And that's the day that changed our lives forever. And we've been working hard with the LV Project ever since to prevent that story from repeating for other families. Thank you so much for sharing that. I know how hard that is. And what was it that made you start the LV project after that happened? And how long after did you wait? It's so interesting that you asked me that question, Karen. Like literally just yesterday, I found a bunch of my old grief journals. And we lost Connor on August 31st of 2012. And in November of 2012, I had this entry in my journal. And it said, it's got to be about buoyancy. We've got to create something about buoyancy, not just on water, but in life. So it was literally November of uh, 2012 when we started the LV project. And I think one of the biggest eye openers for me was my first call was to Texas Parks and Wildlife, right? Wonderful man named Tim Spice who has, you know, a heart of gold and he's in charge of voter education for the state of Texas. And I, I asked him a very direct question. I said, Tim, how many kids are drowning in open water? How many kids are dying in open water? And this was sometime in, you know, like literally the month after we lost Connor and he couldn't give me a number. And it shocked me because I come from the cable industry (laughs) and, you know, I had been a media person my whole life. And let me tell you something, you know, I don't know where you guys live specifically, but I guarantee you, we know, you know, if you have cable available, we know if you're taking video voice or data, like, we were in a very metrics driven business when I was in my professional 
corporate life. And then I came over to water safety and none of the numbers are tracked in a single repository. Pool drownings are tracked separately than open water drownings that are tracked separately from boat boating incidents. And, you know, what I quickly figured out is that nobody really is aware of the fact that drowning is a big kid problem as well as a little kid problem. And when I discovered that and kind of my eyes got opened to the reality that is water safety in the United States of America, people don't think of it as a lifelong problem. They think of it as, you know, I teach my baby how to swim and I make sure that pool environment is as safe as possible. What they don't realize is that drowning is the number two cause of preventable death for teenagers ages 15 to 19. So that's how we got started. And when you bring that up, I know you talk about the X effect. Can you tell us about that? I was a freak about data. You know, I just started going on this hunt for information because, you know, being sort of raised business-wise in a corporate environment, every month I had to hit a number and my bosses didn't really care what the problem was. They just wanted me to hit the number. So, you know, you can't hit a target that you can't see. And so the first question is, what's the target, right? And so you want to sort of ascertain where's the risk, where are the drownings happening? And I combed every data source I could find to try to figure out where drownings are happening in our country and to what age groups. And it took a long time. You know, in the state of Texas, we track drownings for ages 17 and under. Um, But what about 18 and older? We don't have that. So I was able to figure out from Texas data uh, what was happening for 17 and under uh, uh, age groups. But I ran across the CDC report that measured drownings for 10 years from ages zero to 29, and they they measured those drownings by setting. And it was a it was a weird report, and it took some extrapolating. But what it what I ended up figuring out, I started plotting out the data, you know, and I broke it down by ages zero to four, and five to eight, nine to twelve. 13 to 17 and upward. And uh, I I looked at three settings, pools, natural water swimming, and natural water boating. And I was stunned because what I found when I started plotting this data in an Excel spreadsheet is that if you look at pools, you know, as you well know from experience, it's the number one cause of death for or preventable death for kids ages one through four. And so ages one through four, the drownings in pools are very high. But as you might expect, that number starts going down once they get older. So in the teenage years, that's just a progressive slope down. But what was happening with open water, swimming and boating, is that we had a little bit of a blip with ages one through four, and then it dipped down and then it went straight up. So by the time you got to age 15, what you saw was drowning rates were tripling at age 15. 
And then they, those drowning rates remained elevated all the way through adulthood. They never went back down to preteen levels. So when you merged that pattern, it made a perfect X. So what, you know, to sum it up sort of simply, you know, while there are always exceptions, um, you know, the risk of drowning in pools is very high for young children. And the thing that very few people know is that the risk of drowning for teens is very high in open water. And we, nobody really talks about that second piece, that second risk factor. So we started trying to explain it with just by showing those trend lines that makes an X, uh, a perfect X. And we, we use the term the X effect to explain that simply. So powerful. You know, I've been in drowning prevention working alongside Karen and Brian for gosh, 11 years now. And it wasn't until I heard your presentation on the X effect that that was really crystallized for me. Um, and I think that your point about how drownings are captured is really a key problem in our country that we're all struggling to address. Um, but certainly having that information in one, you know, PowerPoint presentation was just so striking. And, and I, you know, Karen has teenage kids and I imagine it's just another layer of, you know, protection that you're constantly thinking about Karen. So I was out at the beach this weekend and my son wasn't with me because I had him at home working as a lifeguard and um, he just got certified this summer and he's working in a pool setting and not open water. But I ran into a couple of his friends at the beach and um, the, one of their moms was about to drop them at the beach. And it was just after the tropical storm from Florida had passed through just the remnants of it. Um, and so um, it was in the Atlantic Ocean. And so there were definitely rough seas. And so I sat down with the boys before they were dropped off. And I said, you know, make sure that when you get to the beach, you check and make sure you check the boards when you get there and you see if you should be swimming or not. And also I felt like I had to tell them, you know, if there's riptides and they're looking at me almost like what the heck is a riptide? You know, I've never even heard of that before. And so then I start explaining to them about the riptides and how they need to swim out of it should they get stuck. And I feel like it's probably the first time that they heard that. Well, good for you for explaining it, Karen, because the, I think that's our biggest problem uh, just in terms of education across the board. I mean, we wouldn't, you know, I think with open water, we sort of think of it like, you know, we don't equate it to other risky situations. Like, for example, just because you've been trained to drive and you have your driver's license does not mean that you can't have an accident. There are other factors around you at play that can create the risk that has no uh, no impact or there's no connection to your ability You might be a great driver, but you can still have an accident. People sort of use that same, they don't use the same math with with open water. You know, they, 
they haven't yet been educated to understand that open water is so different. You know, there are, you know, just because you're a good swimmers or just because you're a good swimmer doesn't mean that you can't have some unexpected incident that creates a risk for you that would cause you to drown. And, you know, after we lost Connor guys, it was so inconceivable, honestly, for people to understand what happened. Like they needed a formula, right? Like this is the reason Connor drowned. You know, there's a lot of victim blaming with teenage and adult drownings. You know, he was being uh, uh, risky with his behavior. He was, you know, drinking, which is ridiculous. You know, he was, they needed, they, he hit his head or, you know, he had a, a, there was something under the surface or people just wanted something to slot into the, this is why it happened bucket. And the reality is he had a bad fall. Connor had a bad fall and he probably had a bad gulp and it was over. It's really that simple. You know, we had an autopsy done on my son. There was nothing wrong with him. He didn't hit his head. He didn't, there was no mitigating factor other than he just hit the water wrong and that water was deep and it was murky and there was no way to see him when he went under and if he had had a buoyancy device on, he'd be alive now. A $30 life vest would have saved him. So, you know, I I work really hard to make it that simple for people. And, you know, Megan, thank you for saying what you, you said about the X effect, because I think, honestly, to explain something simply, you actually have to understand it pretty deeply. You know, you, you have to understand... You know, I'm sure you guys butted up against this with pool drains. You know, to understand something or to explain something simply, you have to understand it deeply. And that's what all of that data work really yielded was a simple explanation. And, you know, drowning, my husband and I often say drowning happens to other people and then you become other people. It is such a huge problem in our country. So it's time to fix it. It's time to make the unknowns known. It's true. And, you know, Dana, I think oftentimes people want to come up with a reason for your child's death to inoculate themselves from accepting that it could happen to them, right? So if Connor was drinking or if Connor was being reckless, well, my kid would never do that. So that would never happen to me, right? Like that's what people do to themselves to prevent themselves from feeling like that could happen to them. And I, you know, that after we lost our daughter, that was something I came up against all the time. And it it took me a long time to understand the why to that, because it is so painful as a parent to go through that. So I can only imagine that with a 15 year old boy, that that must've made your tremendous grief that much more difficult to navigate. Yeah, I was a, a ball of rage, quite honestly. Um, you know, and I, I've now accepted the fact that to get the courage, you have to have rage. Um, but I, uh, you know, people would ask me all the time, what happened to Connor? And I was like, you know, what happened? He freaking jumped in the lake and he died. That's what happened. And guess what? It could happen to you. And it happens to other people across this country and we don't talk about it because it happens to other people. You know, like you said, we, 
inoculate ourselves with the reason. Don't dive head first in the lake. Of course, don't do that. Don't, you know, but the bottom line is a life vest is your best line of defense against drowning in open water. Beaches, buoyant water like oceans, lakes, rivers, streams, oceans, bays, you hear it all the time. Uh, nine out of 10 who drown in open water are male. Doesn't mean that the females don't need to take care of themselves, but you know, there's, there's risk factors with males. And, and I think that assumption of strength in the water is so dangerous. Um, and as particularly the people who have responsibility for teenagers, I mean, guys, come on, you know, a 15 year old, their brains are not fully developed. You know, just like you wouldn't put that car or that kid in a car and say, have at it. You can't put them in a lake and say, have at it. You have to actually see around the corners that they can't see. And, you know, the time to model this behavior is not when they're teenagers. You know, when we're pregnant and we have the babies in our bellies, we're learning all the things, right? We're learning how to keep them safe from poisons and we're putting, you know, plugs in our electrical sockets and we're doing all the things But what we're not thinking about is what happens after swim lessons. Where's the risk after swim lessons? So the time to educate on the very real and pervasive problem that is teenage and adult drowning is with young moms and dads when our babies are in our bellies. And that way that seed is planted and hopefully it takes root by the time those littles become bigs. You know, Karen and I were just actually, um, she has a presentation next weekend and we were talking about um, life jacket usage and, and really it's about modeling as well, right? So that, you know, just because the law in Connecticut is that kids 12 and under need to wear life jackets doesn't mean that parents don't also need to be wearing life jackets because that's modeling the behavior for for those teens to see that this is something you should have with you throughout your life, not just because you're a little kid. Right. I mean, we don't think twice about putting on a seatbelt, but that was not always the case. We don't think twice about putting on a helmet when we're on the slopes, but that was not always the case. Even bicycling, we didn't think, you know, we don't think twice about putting our kids in helmets. You know, all of these safety protocols just sort of evolved over time, usually because of tragedies like Connors. And um, yes, it is, vital that we model the behavior for our kids and frankly you know you mentioned the laws Megan you know I'm grateful for the laws we do have but in many ways they work against us because the U.S. Coast Guard federal regulation says that you are required to wear a life vest at age 12 and under and only in boats but so let's just take that piece of if you think about that as a 12-year-old, you can't wait to turn 13 because guess what? You take that vest off. And there's a sort of a rite of passage thing like, oh, my gosh, I just took my vest off. And mom and dad don't wear it. I don't want to wear it. You know, I don't want to wear this vest. So there's a, a – for the kid, it's like, uh, I can't wait to turn 13 so I want to wear this vest. And then for the adult, it's an assumption of safety because laws are meant to protect us, Right. And so there's like a, well, the law says they don't have to wear it past 12. So I'm assuming that my kid will be safe, which nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, as the vests are coming off, the drowning rates are spiking. 
And then secondarily, the thing that I that always just shocks people, anytime I get in front of a group of people, I always ask them, okay, if I had to ask you out of these three scenarios, pools, natural water swimming, and boats, which one has the highest fatality rate? Which one has the most number of drownings? And every single time the answer is pools. And the reality is the highest number of fatalities for drowning is in natural water swimming scenarios, exactly like Connor. So the whole education process um, has got to start earlier and it's got to expand beyond just pools. Every life matters and water matters and safety matters, but we're leaving out a pretty big piece of the equation when we don't talk about natural water swimming and the laws are actually not helping us um, in, in, in the instance of life vests. And that education needs to be pervasive and repetitive because we need to get families when they're young and when they have, you know, when their children are young and, and young parents. And then as they get older, they need to hear it again and again and again. And that's where we feel in the school systems that should also be an important part of their education, which we talk about all the time as well. Well, I have great respect for the Zach Foundation and everything you guys do on that front. Um, and I'm always just so grateful when organizations like yours, Karen, when you pick up the mantle of, um, you know, safety beyond the, the littles. And uh, yes, I could not agree more. I mean, I'm married to an educator. And my family was educators. Um, and I, I just feel like, um, you know, eventually my prayer is that this just becomes sort of a normal piece of curriculum you know, that we're educating uh, the littles early on and also just as we're educating our our mamas when they're going to their uh, pediatric well checks and they're getting that, you know, they're going through the process of helping their child be raised in a healthy way, that this becomes part of those visits as well. Um, Yeah, we've got a lot of work to do. Um, But I think it starts, you know, I think about Mothers Against Drunk Driving and how Candace Leitner basically changed the face of drinking and driving through the death of her daughter. And I really believe the families, the mamas, and those who support our families like Megan, um, we're the ones who have the best shot of creating the change that needs to happen. Agreed. The stories are powerful and it makes people listen. Yeah, you know, I always, I don't know how you handle this, Karen, but anytime I'm I'm in front of a group of people, I always, like, you can see people's faces, you know, you can, that look of, I guess, what what would you call it, like, horror, horror, yes, the look of horror, and I, the first thing I always say when I speak to people is like, okay, look, you're going to be horrified by what I'm going to tell you. And you're going to see a picture of my son, who is frankly the most gorgeous boy on the face of the earth. If I did, if I could say so, as a proud mom, you're going to see this beautiful boy. <laughs> yes, yes, time with Zach, of course. Um, and um, you're going to feel really badly for me, and you're going to look at me, and you're going to see the words "grieving mom" above my head, like you know, a woman who is living her worst nightmare. But that's not what I want. 
you know, I appreciate it, but that's not why I'm here. What I, while you're going to feel bad for me, what I want is for you not to be me. And guess what? You know, Connor didn't die of a preventable illness. Connor did not die uh, from some unforeseen, you know, random act. Connor died because he didn't have a life vest on. And this is actually a problem that is fixable. And the way you can fix it is to listen to my story and learn from it. And that's sometimes hard for people to do. Mm-hmm. But, but we, we tell it anyway. Yes, very well said. And we yeah. are proud to be partnering with you. We know all the hard work that you're doing in Texas and beyond. And we look forward to continuing this fight together to prevent drownings for all families to not have to endure the losses that we have. Amen, sister. You know, we can fix this. It's not a problem that is insurmountable. And like anything else in life, you know, when we know better, we do better. That Maya Angelou quote, which is just the, you know, really the bane of my existence. When we know better, we do better. And I think Nicole Hughes, who lost her son Levi, uh, said it so well. I was talking to her one day, and I've used this phrase so many times. She said, it's like Levi got murdered and his killer is on the loose. You know, that's what it feels like with Connor. Mm. Like It feels like he got murdered and the killer was drowning. And the, the justice is a life vest. And we can, we can fix this. Um, but it's going to require a lot of just knocking our heads against the brick walls to get it to crumble eventually. But I believe it will. I believe it can. And, you know, I don't know how you feel about this, Karen, but like maybe I've sort of made my peace with this, that maybe we're just seed planters and we may never get to see the harvest. You know, we may not get to see the day when we're looking at these drowning reports and they're in single digits or even double digit numbers every year. But I do believe that there's power in planting the seeds. And I don't think there's really any choice because there's a murderer out there and it's called water and water can be our friend, but water can be our biggest enemy. And until we actually learn how to differentiate those two, we got a lot of seed planting to do. So that's what we do, right? Agreed. And I also think I was just talking to Megan about this, just how, even our work with the NDPA, I think we're gaining some traction. Absolutely. You know, we definitely, those seeds are being planted and hopefully during our lifetime, we will see at least some kind of a difference. No, I agree with you. It's one of the proudest, one of the the proudest associations I have is our Families United group, you know, we're just little tiny organizations dotted throughout the country, right? Just, you know, we're not a huge nonprofit. We're, but when you collectively combine our voices that, you know, we, I think we're up to 70 
members strong, 70 organizations dotted throughout the United States who are speaking with a, a voice that, you know, because we're associated, I know about brain entrapments. I would not have known about that without being exposed to the Zach Foundation. Um, you know, because of, you know, Drennan's dreams, I understand risks for lifeguards and lifeguarded pools. You know, there's so many valuable associations that we have as a, you know, as a member of Families United to Prevent Drowning. And I really believe that, you know, like it says on the website, you know, individually we're just a drop, but together we are the ocean. I really believe that. And, uh, you know, I'm really proud to be among all of these, you know, you and the brokenhearted warriors out there that are just like, we, our day is done. We, you know, Connor's not coming back, but, you know, we fight because we just don't want anybody to feel like we do every day. You know, Connor would be 24. How old would Zach be? 20. 20. How old was he when you lost him? Six. Six. Wow, 14 years. Mm-hmm. That's inspiring. I'm at, I'm at year nine on August 31st, and uh, I don't know if it feels like this for you, Karen, but it feels like nine minutes ago, and it feels like 900 years ago. Right. And so when I look at, you know, people like you who are ahead of me, I take a lot of courage and strength from that. And, you know, there's no good way and no good age. That's one of the things I learned early on with grief. You know, like I remember talking to a therapist and she had lost a son and her son was uh, 30 when he died. And I remember, you know, you're just so messed up with grief. And I just remember going, oh, well, you had him for 30 years. And like comparing uh, yeah. Comparing the bucket. Yes. <laughs> and I'm sure you feel like that, you know, as well from time to time. And um, and she looked at me, she goes, Dana, there's no good way and there's no good age. You know, losing a child is losing a child. And we all carry our buckets. And guess what? Every dang one of them is a heavy bucket. I often feel like if we, if our insides you know, if our outsides matched our insides, we'd be like those grotesque bodybuilders that you see, you know, oiled up on the magazine covers, you know, we'd be just like, you know, um, thank God, you know, we're not gross, uh, at least not terribly gross, but like, that's what it feels like. I mean, the load, the load gets no lighter, you know, we just figure out how to make and how to carry it. We get a little stronger. Absolutely. And I learned just to be grateful for the six years I had. <laughs> it's it's a hard thing to be grateful for the six years you've had when you think about the 14 that you don't, you haven't had, you know. Yeah. And, you know, every grief journey is just so messed up. And, um, you know, the only thing that we can do is uh, make it count. I don't know if you feel like this about Zach, but there's, in fact, I know you feel this way about Zach, but the, you know, Connor died, but there's not a period at the end of that sentence. There's a dot, dot, dot. And then you get to the, so what, you know, Connor died, dot, 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 
so what? I mean, if we did what we felt like doing, we would all, you know, probably be crumpled in a fetal position in the corner because that's what it feels like every day, right? Mm-hmm. And I know Megan has lost a child as well. We all feel like that, but you got to make it count because suffering without meaning is just despair and ain't nobody got time for that. You know, we got to get on it. And so I, I really admire you for making it count. You're a big hero to me, Karen. And, um, and I thank you for what you're doing to share the word about, you know, drowning beyond the littles. It's a big, big, big problem in our country and it's preventable. Well, Megan and I are proud to be warriors by your side. (laughs) So thank you so much for taking your time to be here with us today and to talk to us and to educate those people out there because it's important. And thank you for all your work. You bet. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. This is Megan Ferraro and Karen Cohn from the Zach Foundation, and we look forward to speaking with you again soon.